0: Are you ready?
1: Let's do it. Let's
0: do it. Okay. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organization. Now, here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, let's do it better. So let's jump right in. Keith, what is your top advice for leading through change?
1: I mean, I think that's, you know, it might sound trite, but it's having people united to what you're trying to change and bought into what you're trying to change and being prepared for a certain percent of people will fight the change just by their nature of not understanding what's in it for them and i think if you if you set and communicate really effectively a clear direction for why there's change and people can embrace for lack of a better term a change mindset then you know i think you'll get more people on board than trying to force change you know with a heavier hand if you will and you can't create a great debate society about why we're changing, but I think that really effective communication, really pointing people to a true north about what the change is about and for and how it impacts them. But be prepared to have some percentage just never, never come along. And you can't win them all. you know. And I, I've i been guilty of trying so hard to look at the 10 or 15 or sometimes 20% that just aren't there. And I've, my experience is never going to get there. So you focus on the 80% that are.
0: That's great. Now, for those of you who don't know him, today, Keith Pierce is chief marketing officer at Alteryx, but his experience goes well beyond high-tech marketing, spanning journalism, politics, and sales from startups to global multinational corporations. Now, I want to key in on something you said there, Keith, about a change mindset. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you mean by a change mindset? And what?
1: You- yeah, I mean, I think what you'll find with people who, who have Had different roles, you know, have had different experiences in their life. You know, we've all had to evolve from company, from job function, from, you know, moves we've made geographically to cultures with societal context. There are people I have found on the spectrum to change that are more open minded to that and actually enjoy that. And then there are people that like the steady state rhythm of a pattern and a routine and you you have to understand and manage both dynamics on that spectrum and help people who like routines and don't like change to understand how they can fly a routine to what the change will be for them in other words My personality is such that I like regularity and you can find that through change, but you have to embrace that person where they are in it. On the other end of the spectrum is the the person that wants to be right at the front of the change. And it's like they want to lead the the race and you have to pull them back and sort of go, let's not get too exhausted and go out too fast. Let's make sure the person who likes routine is following with us. So it's managing those sides of that dynamic, if that makes sense, uh, to make sure everyone's coming along.
0: And so as you think about a team building a team, you you talked about the advantages and disadvantages of both mindsets. What's the right composition for a team? I mean, are you looking for a team 100% full of change accelerators or is there value balance?
1: Yeah, no, there absolutely is value for balance. And I think one of the one of the things that I've learned is with the diversity that comes from balance, you end up with higher performing teams. You need different mindsets, you need people with different work styles. And, you know, if you have everyone who's on the front end of change, you'll have chaos, right? So you you need the balance and you need to recognize there's value in and recognizing the person that isn't there yet in the change and talking them through that. And you know, I think you find a better equilibrium, if you will, of a team when you have that.
0: And so when you're when you're building a team, when you're recruiting, when you're hiring, how do you hire for change readiness as opposed to, and I hate to say sort of change resistance, but how do you hire for change accelerators and how do you hire for change stabilizers?
1: It was a great question. I mean, I think you have to look for where openness shows up in the candidate. And, you know, for me, that sort of behavioral style of interviewing and asking about how people have embraced change in the past can help you kind of understand where they are in their change mindset, whether they're, you know, I'll get there, but it's going to take me some time. Understanding how that person gets there is really important and knowing it's different from the person on the other end that says, I'm ready tomorrow to start with a change and start with a clean sheet and just understanding that balance.
0: And so I wanna shift gears a little bit and talk about communication, right? Cause you spend some time talking about communication, about communicating change, about communicating the why. And I think that when we think about communicating change, the audience matters. And it's not just about change readiness or change resistance. It can also be about proximity to change. Help me think about how you go about communicating change and sort of segmenting your market, segmenting your audience
1: yeah, I mean, it really goes down to how it's personalized. Because change that's on a whiteboard, that's in a PowerPoint, that's in a all-hands meeting, it doesn't translate until it reaches the person individually. What does it mean for me? I mean, that that's how it has to be translated. in understanding and encouraging an environment where people are free and not inhibited to ask that question openly. You know, too often, the change comes from top down. Here's the new PowerPoint, here's the new slogan, Everyone jump in, grab the Kool Aid, but the person that's that doesn't understand that or resists that 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 doesn't that doesn't translate. And some some personalities that's like Greek. They really they don't understand it. And too often, it's sort of the perfect message. And then, you know, when you ask about, or any questions about this change or why we're doing this? It's silent. We've all been in those meetings. The sheep are all nodding and we're all, but internally, people are going, what is this all about? I don't understand. So encouraging an environment where people can raise their hand and go, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. That's okay. And in the corporate construct we've had for years, that was, let's be frank, that was frowned upon. You know, oh, there's that naysayer again. There's the pessimist. There's the curmudgeon. There's the eor. And actually you want that conversation because encouraging that conversation is giving a voice to someone that, you know, a lot of other people have that same question also. And so when you bring that into the open, then people start to personalize and attach and they realize there's an openness and there's an environment where they're not penalized for doing that. So that, that's, that's something I've just, I've encouraged. And again, you can't, you can't go to the chaos of a debate society. But you also don't want to be on the other end where you go through the change continuum and you say, have you taken your certification yet? Or, you know, whatever it is, and I'm on board. So you have to kind of meet in the middle.
0: And so I've been part of change efforts where the communication felt open. It felt like a two-way, a two-way back and forth on communication. But a lot of that was a function of leaders getting face-to-face with people. Today, we're not face-to-face with people. I mean, we're all, we're largely over Zoom and the change hasn't slowed down where in fact, the change isn't even within our control anymore. There's change from the outside that's impacting us. How do you want to see leaders addressing communication for change and personalizing communication for change in an environment where we can't be face-to-face and establish more human connection?
1: I think it starts with effective, whatever the leadership team is, making sure the leadership team is bought in. So often, it sounds so simple, so often they're not. And you can bet managers down the line and individual contributors down the line, they can see through that. They can see through it like that. So the first thing is, is the leadership team bought in on this. Are we all on board? And has there been time dedicated to getting everyone on board or to getting everyone to accept? What the change is, even though they might be a naysayer or might be on the end of the spectrum we talked about, so much of what I've learned is just observing people's body language, their eye movements, what they say, how they say what they say, you know, how they react to things. And, and understanding that not everyone is going to be the cheerleader and jump up and, and applaud and give. you know, there'll be some people that that doesn't necessarily mean they're not there. That just means they need a little more time. So that, that for me is, is the leadership team there. And is that done with the right buy-in? And then is the message translating? And our managers, do they know, are they equipped to look for, Alyssa may not be with us yet, but she'll get there because I know that's how she is. That's how she works. She needs time to process it. Or Keith, rein him in because he's going to run ahead and we need to make sure he doesn't get too far ahead of what we're trying to do, or he doesn't alienate the rest of the team or you know the way he reacts to it is perceived by others as negative. Literally, that human dynamic to pay attention to. Too much time is spent on the words. Too much time is spent on the graphics. Too much time is spent on the deck, and it's, everything's beautiful and not enough time is like how do how am I observing people reacting as I'm going through this? And it's hard to do that uh, at scale. But good leaders create good managers that know how to look for that. And too often that there just isn't isn't a connection.
0: So who had you seen? Over the course of your career, do this really well. Are there times when you can think back and say this worked because yeah. this person was very skilled here?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. This the CMO, when I was at Siemens, Mark Strayton, that was a time when telecom industry was being deregulated and it was just a kind of a crazy explosion of interest in private branch exchange phones. So it was a big move from regulated telcos, almost monopolistic, to you know, this. IP telephony thing. And he, he did a fantastic job of helping the company understand and complete cultures from IBM to a German engineering company ownership at the company at that time to getting everyone on board to what the new company was going to do and the technology advancements. They were going to make and why, why that was good for people. And that was a time when people were very, very resistant to the change. So he's someone that just stands out as a, a leader that, you know, I had a lot of respect for.
0: We don't have to name names. But have there been instances of change where you felt like we're going through a change and it's not sticking, right? It's not working. And and why was that?
1: Yeah, I think too often leaders get caught up with their egos, And they sort of want to personalize how they're leading the change instead of how the collective company is coming up with the change, if that that makes sense. And and I think where I've I've seen it get not translate through the ranks is when the C-suite gets so far ahead with a vision or a strategy because it's their brand. People see that. You've all seen the reaction. It's the rolled eyes. It's the shrugged shoulders. It's the, you know, Oh, well, here we go again. So much of that dissonance for me is when it's not really ensconced in customer and what customers are doing. So, you know, I think it's great for a company to have a vision. I think it's even better when that vision is coming from customers that are saying, we think this is the potential for how we do that. And I've seen it really fall apart when it's not emanating from customers.
0: So it's interesting to hear you talk about change emanating from customers. Talk to me a little bit about the customer change that you've seen over the last couple of years, because I think we've seen customer change as a function of the pandemic, but we've also seen in the technology industry, dramatic shifts in the way customers the way customers interact with software. The way customers expect their their other vendors to behave and the way other vendors need to use technology
1: yeah yeah i mean it's interesting that the whole frontier of cloud computing which is you know we're, we're well into now it's completely shifted the power dynamic of customer and company because you know a cloud company is it can be replaced like that in a day it didn't used to be like that it used to be that these these switch outs of technology would take years sometimes right It can happen overnight now. It can happen in days or weeks. I'm just an app away. I'm just another SaaS provider away from replacing you. So I think cloud companies have to come to work every day, sort of earning the right to win their customer. And when that mind shift shifts, I think it's just a a much richer customer experience, and it's a better experience for, for the company as well because all of what they're doing is is grounded around winning their customer every day and looking at how their customers are utilizing their technology where they're consuming well you know where they have room for improvement and that whole notion of customer success and being with customers you know all the way through the days of I've sold you the software and I walk away and our maintenance team will call you in a year to renew your, that those are done. They really are. And, and then that dynamic, the customer didn't really have the power. In some cases, the customer was, you know, they were hijacked.
0: So where we now live in a technology environment where customers are sort of uber empowered, you know, to go from one cloud provider to another cloud provider is almost as as easy as getting the contract signed. Technical implementation is not challenging to the same extent that it is with an on-prem solution. What do the conditions within the company need to be to enable people within the organization to change at the pace of customer Mm -hmm. change?
1: Yeah, I think that it's it's very hard, you know. For you have these companies that are either born cloud. You'll hear a expression: they're born cloud, or they're making that transition too. And I think for you know, to state the obvious, the ones that are born cloud, they have that ethos of. I serve customers every day my role is customer so many companies that are on the other side and making that transition they've got to to understand how everyone has a job of serving customers in the the company in some way or another everyone has a customer and a customer focus rule you know and you think about how acquire land expand or renew in cloud parlance is how functions like marketing and sales and customer success work you know what's interesting if you want to go find where there's divisions go find the the companies where those aren't united under a leader i mean literally and you'll see you know that that you know it's healthy tension in some cases it's unnecessary tension in the others because it's serving the enterprise and not the customer right when as a customer i've had an enriching education through what a company would call marketing that that truly made me the best informed about the market and the solution i'm looking for i will be rewarded as a company if i participated in that not with such a bias about why my product is better, but by continuing to serve the customer things that they saw as value. And yes, at a certain point of that, there's differentiation of what I'm doing. But all in all, the the, the mindset is, how can I serve you the best in the research that you're trying to do now with all the things that I have at my disposal? So I, I think that you know, companies that aren't on that have, sometimes have a very hard time understanding that. how does a true customer-driven strategy for marketing and sales and customer success change in a cloud dynamic from the old on-prem dynamic and world? And where do those silos sit and where do they need to be broken down um, so that we don't look at that, the different phases of, of selling like that?
0: And what's the right balance within the organization between individual empowerment to satisfy customer needs and organizational governance so that we make sure that. Our customers across the the spectrum are getting a consistent experience that is, in fact, aligned with our organizational vision and strategy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to have systems that that help you understand when the right conditions are met for a customer to pass between the different parts of the organization. When a lead is the right at the right stage for a sales development rep to introduce a salesperson when an implementation has gone well enough, or when you're ready to have an implementation conversation with a customer success manager, for instance. You, know, you you have to have systems that pass the customer between those faces. But the key is that the customer doesn't feel like they're being moved around between silos in your company. I mean, it's the same thing that every customer complains about when they go to get service today. Why do I have to re-explain everything about me to you every time I interact with you, for example? So, you know, in a, in a completely frictionless, fluid experience... I'm not seeing these really hard handoffs. It just feels like it's the right time to talk to someone who has that knowledge, or has that skill, or is in that role with the company. And so, the notion of marketing passing to sales and sales passing to customer success—of course, it has to exist inside of the company. There are KPIs and there are scoring systems and forecasting and all that stuff to do that. But for the customer, I just feel like it's just a natural experience. Hey, I met Alyssa. It seemed like she was the right person at this time for us. Great. Now I meet Keith. There isn't this hard handoff.
0: And so if you are an organization that is making that change from a more siloed, your current state is more siloed. It's not working for your current, this current state of your consumer. What are some of the keys to success in helping your organization fall under a more more seamless integration between these functions?
1: Yeah, I think it's more of an emphasis on what customers are trying to do than how the company is trying to serve customers. And that might sound very simplistic, but there are so many examples of where the corporate policy or structure is in conflict with customer behavior. So you've had, you know, a lot written and, you know, a lot of systems and tools around customer journeys and journey journey mapping. The challenge with that is customer behavior is erratic. Once you have the perfect journey or the perfect map, it it gets busted by a new technology or economic imperative that changes customer behavior. So I think it's really just staying along with what customers are doing and what they want from you and how to best serve them.
0: Then, as we try to bring employees along that change, you know, you can have employees experiencing real role dysphoria, right? Like real role conflict. As they see their roles change and the way they're being asked to operate change, how do we bring employees on the journey and help them understand and perhaps recast their personal value propositions within the organization to keep them engaged with the change through what it can be very scary?
1: Yeah. I mean, I really think it, it starts around really understanding customer centricity. It's been talked about a lot. It's, it's not practiced as much as it's talked about. And, you know, you take, take some of the back office functions, for example, in a, a billing department in a company. You know, some of those people might think, what do I have to do with customer? My, my, My job is to manage cash flow or to manage accounting systems. Look, making sure customers get the right bill at the right time and the collections is done in the right time is that's a customer centric role. That's not a back office role. That's a critical part of a customer experience. Customers need to manage their cash flow as well. They want to meet payment schedules as well, go to to legal, go to HR, all the functions that have historically been thought of as back office, they have a customer centric role to them. You don't have to look hard and you don't have to try hard to make those concrete examples to people. To me, that's the difference between customer leading companies and customers that talk about customer centricity through a go to market lens, through the functions that are talking to customers. And the reality is there's a customer role for everyone in an enterprise.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit here. You know, we've talked about leading through change. We've talked about the experience of change within an organization, change that's driven externally versus change that's driven internally. But what if you're not in a position to lead change? What if the change is happening and your, your role is as a follower of that change? What advice can you give people that find themselves in the follower role to help enable and, and drive the success of change within their environments and organizations?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that anyone who's a participant in change has a leader opportunity. You know, I think the notion of their leaders and their followers is challenge that notion a little bit in the sense that if you're a follower, people are looking at how you're following, how you're behaving in the pursuit of the change, what you're doing, what you're doing differently, what you're not doing anymore that you used to do. That's part of the change. So everyone in a change continuum is being looked at to sort of say, where are you with this? So don't discount the person who may not think they're a leader of change. They can model change behavior. And by modeling change behavior, they're leading change. And that can be in very subtle little things. And too often those subtle little things aren't celebrated and recognized. And oftentimes it's work they used to do that they just don't do anymore because it didn't make sense. It wasn't part of the change that we're trying to to implement. And those things people observe and don't discount how they, they might change their own behavior because of that. And that's why a follower can really be a leader in a change.
0: Well, thank you, Keith. This has been a great conversation. and Hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to changes and transitions in their own organizations. If you'd like to continue the conversation on change management and driving connection through moments of transition, you can visit us at blueswiftconsulting.com. Thank you again, Keith. This has been great. Thank
1: you. It was great talking to you.